Hello and welcome to another episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med, a prime resource for evidence-based education about sexual medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and today I'm with some friends of the podcast. Jean Marino did uh, episode 19 when she talked about uh, a book that she co-authored called Sex in Your 60s. She's a certified uh, nurse practitioner in the department of OBGYN, and she's on the uh, female sexual medicine division at University Hospitals in Cleveland. And also we have Anna Myers who did episode 21 when she talked about developing a sexual medicine practice. She's a certified nurse practitioner also in the department of urology and urologic female pelvic medicine. She's a certified sex counselor and also a part of the female sexual medicine team at University Hospitals in Cleveland. Well, thank you for joining me, ladies, and um, appreciate your being here. We're going to talk about uh, a new medicine for hot flashes. Um, and I'd really like to start off the discussion uh, for, for people listening that may not kind of see the relationship <laughs> between hot flashes and sexual dis, uh, dysfunction. Would you both uh, pipe in and just explain what's the relationship between hot flashes and sexual dysfunction? Sure, so thanks for having us, Terry. Yeah. So hot flashes, I think can just really affect so much, especially quality of life. So if someone is hot and uncomfortable, not sleeping well because of that, then sex drive is gonna go down because she just has more important things about she's already uncomfortable and possibly not in a great mood so sex becomes kind of on the back burner yeah and hot flashes you know those ones that occur at night they keep you from sleeping so you're going to end <laughs> up very fatigued and irritable perhaps yeah and mm -hmm. that can certainly affect your mood and relationships as well yeah. and in the midlife i mean this is not uncommon correct this is a, a big reason for uh the big no thanks, yeah. <laughs> um, sexual yeah. dysfunction, right? Right. So there's so many things that go into a decrease in sexual desire for women. Right. I, I think we're just really good at multitasking and bringing a lot of things into a situation. And so if you're not feeling well and you're hot and you're comfortable and mood changes are a big part of perimenopause and menopause and all of those things not to mention weight gain and body image changes and all of that starts to affect low desire or affect desire and low desire being the most common of the different female sexual dysfunctions. So uh, the most people talk about estrogen being the standard of care for, for hot flashes, but, but we're, we'd like to discuss the non-hormonal options that have been available for now for years. The, the North America, or the, I should say that the new name, the, the menopause mm -hmm. society, right? Right. Um, just, <laughs> printed a, uh, a new position statement on non-hormonal options for hot flashes. Would, would you both talk about that for a few minutes? Yeah, it's exciting to see this guideline come out because I think there's a lot of things that in here that might be a little bit surprising to people um, when they look through and what is recommended based on what research we have and what isn't. Um, and then of course, the exciting part of it is the, the medications that we have to offer women in addition to the um, like cognitive behavioral therapy and um, 
over-the-counter type of options that women have been trying to use throughout the years. So I will admit, I totally doubt I was really excited for this position statement. I've been waiting for years for their updated version because I'm asked every day, I'm sure you guys are too, what's safe to use? What about this over-the-counter option, et cetera, et cetera. And so the guidelines go through all those different ingredients and talk about what available data there is. So it's a wonderful document that's a very easy Google search to find. You don't have to be a member of the Menopause Society to access it. So very excited that this came out. What are some of the categories of things that we have for non-hormonal approaches? Anna, you mentioned you know, some of the uh, prescription meds. Um, and, and some of the cognitive behavioral therapy. To talk about these different types of, of therapies. So the prescription medications, we have SSRI, and then we have our new category of medication, the NK3 receptor antagonist that I am sure we'll talk about more about as we go along. Um, then we have cognitive behavioral therapy, um, clinical hypnosis, uh, gabapentin, those are the recommended um, therapies. The non-recommended therapies, the paste respiration, the supplements, the herbal remedies, um, the cooling techniques, avoiding the triggers, those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, actually, Terry, they don't even recommend exercise in here. So we should just be clear that these are not things that we recommend against in general. A lot of a lot of these recommendations come because there's not enough data. So if yoga and pace respirations and avoiding triggers works for you, there's no reason not to. But what we're saying is that there's not enough data to say that that's a really great rule for everyone to follow. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what was going to be my question. Thanks for clarifying oh, sorry that. sorry about because, that. No, no, no. I, I really appreciate it because there was things that said this is this is killer. This is great. And then there was like, no, you know, we don't recommend this. And why the difference? And, you know, we all had those people come in and say, you know, I, I got this over the counter at my health food store and I, I right. just feel great. And, right. you know, there's no data, but people swear by it. So yeah, it's a, a funny little side story. The, <laughs> the very first time I held a menopause support and education group at UH, I brought in coffee and ah. I think mostly coffee and some sweets and stuff. And because I knew the guidelines said there's no such thing as a trigger. And then every single woman in that support group said, I can't have this. I'm going to have a hot flash. And I thought, what? Ah. No. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I was the only one drinking the coffee and eating the sweets. <laughs> <laughs> How well, funny. <laughs> of, of, the, of these medications, um, what, you know, before we talk about the new one, what were your favorite medications up until this point for using? Oh, so if you don't mind, I'll jump in first, Anna. So probably my favorite one is Brisdel, which is a really low dose of Paroxetine or Paxil. The Brisdel was the very first FDA non-hormonal prescribed medication, so that's exciting. And it has a really nice side effect for helping women sleep. So it works well for hot flashes, helps women sleep at that really low dose, does not cause weight gain or sexual dysfunction. 
And for anyone out there who's a prescriber, I will say through experience, I've learned that if you prescribe 10 milligrams of the paroxetine, it is very affordable, even if you don't have insurance. Whereas Brisdell, which is a 7.5 milligrams, I find tends to be a bit expensive with at least with certain insurance. So the 10 milligrams for me has usually been my go-to because it helps with the sleep too as an added bonus. I would say mine is oxybutynin, um, working in urology as well. It does uh, take care of a lot of the issues that women come to me for multiple reasons. And typically um, using the oxybutynin, I can help kind of work on their nocturia and their um, hot flashes at the same time or their frequency and their hot flashes at the same time. So estrogen is, you know, reported to, to work over 90% of the time in women with hot flashes. How well do these products you just talk about work? I think it just depends on the patient. And my experience is that the hot flashes are really severe, which is somewhat subjective. I don't know. These ones have not worked as well as estrogen does, but I would say for moderate and of course, more mild, they work pretty well. The thing with estrogen, and I'm a big fan of it, is because it really affects all the bothersome symptoms of menopause, whereas these ones are usually targeting mostly hot flashes, but then some of them have these extra bonuses, like that Brisdell with sleep. And I think also as like, like Jean was talking about the moderate to severe, I think to try to get the the more impact you have to go up on the dosing. So as I go up on the dosing on oxygen, people tend to have the dry mouth and the constipation, and then we're fighting other kinds of side effects. So you're taking something else to be able to take it. Well, that's fair. And, and I now I want to get to the drum roll, um, <laughs> to this new medication. Uh, Vioza is the trade name and Festididant is, is the, the chemical name. And, uh, you know, I just remember sitting through couple of years, the past couple of years through uh, meetings, and they kept talking about this class of drug and boy, how good it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And now it's here. So right. but both of you, you know, tell me what you think. Well, first of all, I'm going to ask uh, just how it works. And uh, because it's a new medication, it's a new category. And tell us a little bit about that first. So it's first of its kind. Um, it's research based on Naomi Rance, and uh, it's a, the hypothalamic candy neuron. Uh, which stands for the contain. It's the neurons that stand for um, the neuropeptides, kispeptin, neurokinin B, and denorphine. And they've come to realize that there is this kind of balance between the um, neurokinin peptide and the estrogen on this on the receptors on this neuron. And so, as they've come to realize that these neurons become hypertrophied with less estrogen and how that affects the thermoregulatory center. So bringing into balance by blocking the um, the neurokinin-3 receptor, the NKB, we're able to bring that balance in with the estrogen. And, and wh- how well does it work? It's supposed to work great. It didn't start yeah. working within a week. And this is for moderate to severe hot flashes. It works really well. They followed women for a year. It continues to work. I've prescribed it a couple of times. I just haven't had any follow-ups yet. So I don't, I can't say from clinical experience, but the data is very promising. And and I know we're all uh, speaking from what we've read about it mainly because we just came out. We just, I just 
called it in for my first patient too. So I know there's not mm -hmm. a lot of clinical experience, but what we know about it in reading, um, it, it seems to really work well. The numbers are very high. In fact, people talk about it working as well as estrogen. Right. Um, and so uh, that's pretty amazing. Any other interesting facts about Vioza that you, you both find? Um, the Vioza is really interesting because it works during the day or at night. So if women feel like their hot flashes are worse at night, or we sometimes refer to those as the night sweats, it works equally well, but they can take it day or night with or without food, really easy to take. And I just love that it doesn't, it's not only that it's decreasing the number of hot flashes, but it's changing the kind of hot flashes that they still do have. So from that moderate to severe, it's bringing it down to more of a mild to moderate. So if they even still have hot flashes, they're able to, they're the kind that you can still function and get on with life. Yeah. I, I think that that's a great point. And I, it's the same point with estrogen. Estrogen isn't always going to take everything away a hundred percent. I always talking with women say our goal is to have a significantly increased quality of life and maybe that's not zero hot flashes but you should be able to function and get through your day and sleep pretty well and Vioza appears to be able to do that same thing I think also just <laughs> having that greater than 50 percent improvement and then seeing that it can last to a year is pretty exciting too because as a provider when you give somebody a prescription you want them to come back and say that they're better and, and then that they continue to be better. So that's pretty exciting stuff too. I, I was just impressed by reading about how fast it works. And, and I don't know if you've either have had the experience and gotten the feedback on that, but people reporting that it worked in the first day and, and even estrogen takes a couple of weeks to really, um, you know, really work well. And, and that, that's always what impressed me. I, I, have you found that? Yeah, I did have one patient that I was talking to her about a week after I had prescribed it because um, there was an issue with uh, getting it through her pharmacy. And um, she was excited. She was really thrilled about the results that she'd experienced. She wanted more and she didn't, wasn't getting it quick enough. So um, luckily that got um, taken care of quickly because they had a specialty pharmacy that I was able to send the prescription to who took care of um, some of the details. And she had a few different options to get the medication and she was pretty happy. That's, you know, that's one of the, uh, another one of the questions on my list. Let's, we'll just jump to that. Uh, both of you, if you will talk, we, we all know how, you know, new medicine comes out and it just seems like we can't get it to anybody because nobody wants to pay for it, et cetera. Um, are we going to get this out to patients? <laughs> I think so. That's, so we've had the drug reps have been in my office several times. They have phone numbers for patients to call. I have samples that I can give to women. So I feel like the response for help for the patients has been very high and helpful so far. I've worked with the, this company in the past, actually for like the last seven, eight years with another new medication that came out for over to bladder. And I feel like patients um, were quite successful over the years in getting the medication and getting it into the hands of patients, not only those with commercial insurance, but also Medicare. So I, I'm, you know, I feel comfortable and confident that women are going to get it. Do you, uh, have you used any of these specialty pharmacies um, at all to, to get these medicines to people? 
or you've just been able to work this through the system and, and get this to patients? In our line of business, we have, I would say with most of the new medications that have come out for sexual health, they typically have a specialty pharmacy. So I feel like I have, you know, a different one for each medicine currently. Um, and so um, that has, you know, it's certainly improved our success. Yeah, the same with us too. Um, I've tried the regular pharmacy and when that's not working, I switch over to the specialty pharmacy. Okay. What what's the name of your specialty pharmacy that, that for, you both use? For this one, it's Vitacare. Vitacare. Okay. Yeah. Anna, um, do you have a, a, a favorite? I'm just this yeah, the one that I've ideas. used is um <laughs> it's Synexus. I used for Vioza and um, vital care. I use for um, some of my other medications. Um, So I think there's PhilRx. There's a few different ones. Yeah. I've heard of cost plus, and I'm just throwing names out there for people listening, uh, just giving them ideas. Um, You know, another thing that um, I, I think that this really, is such a strong uh, tool for us now is who, who are the candidates for that? I think there's people out there we couldn't really help before that we can help now. What do, what do you think about that? I think that's a great, great point. So again, I'm a huge fan of hormones, but for women who've had a stroke, a heart attack, a blood clot in their chest, their arm, their leg, or a personal history of breast cancer is a very common previous medical history that I work with. This is going to be a fantastic option for them. So it's completely non-hormonal. So we're not worried about the clotting at all. And in something like an estrogen dependent cancer, like breast cancer, uterine cancer, this is a really nice option. It wasn't studied in people with an estrogen dependent cancer, but the thought is that this should be a great option for them. Yeah. And women that are out past 10 years past uh, their, their last menstrual period um, that aren't necessarily a great candidate for estrogen. Also um, women that are just, you know, they have that kind of baggage. They've got breast cancer in their family. They're seeing their mother go that they're like, no, I don't want to do hormones. Um, And just like we've talked about in the past, you know, women that have been impacted by the results of the the WHI, they're they're still hearing that information from their family members who told them, no, no, you got to get off of that. And so I think that it's a great option. That's great. Yeah. And I just think that uh, um, it's just, I'm just the most excited about our cancer patients Mm -hmm. and they were, it was not studied in cancer patients, but uh, neither one of you have any concerns. I mean, you wouldn't think twice about writing a script for a uh, breast cancer. Okay, good. Right. And it's just, it's really nice and we should add in. So if someone has on tamoxifen, which is, uh, you know, quite a few breast cancer patients too, you can't use the SSRIs, which are another option, including that Brisdell and whatnot. So there was, we were limited. So it's nice to have another option. And I think it's reassuring because we're going to be doing blood work with these patients. Like, prior to starting the Vioza and then at three months, oh, yeah. six months, nine months. So we're going to be following them closely. So that can be reassuring for them as well. Talk a little bit about that because some of the, the issues that, um, you know, the papers have talked about, talk, talk about some of those that you, you just mentioned blood work. What, what is that about? <laughs> 
So what we're doing is looking at how well the liver is functioning and we want baseline tests because it is feels as contraindicated in anyone with liver disease. And not because Vioza caused problems in the liver. There were other companies that were trying to develop medications that used a different receptor that targeted that targeted that internal thermostat or the hypothalamus, and they had noticed some problems with liver function tests. So Vioza and the FDA is just wanting to be really careful and make sure that there are no problems because the studies were very reassuring, but now out in the real world and prescribing this to a lot more people than obviously we're in the study. So it's just a good double check to make sure everything is okay. Does that, will that scare people um, when you say this is a great medicine, but oh, I got to follow some lab work to a, a yeah. cancer survivor? <laughs> yeah, so, I've already had that conversation and yeah. trying to reassure this is just to be extra safe. Yeah, but good. yes, of course. And of course, there'll be people who don't want any more labs or whatnot. So maybe it's not for everybody. And also knowing that there was no drug induced liver injuries when you look at the PI um, and there was, you know, no is- issues with the bilirubin um, and those that had the elevations and the, the blood work that those elevations came down even with continuing medication. Um, so. You guys still use uh, the other non-hormonal medications, do you think you'll continue to use those or will this in the non-hormonal category, will this become your go-to? You know, it's just really hard to say. So <laughs> I like some, so they all have their pluses and minuses, right? And so the things like those SSRIs, SNRIs. So as we talked about, there's can be such an increase in anxiety and depression during perimenopause and menopause. So if she's having mood changes and hot flashes, that's probably a better option. If she's having overactive bladder and hot flashes, that oxybutynin is probably a better option. Gabapentin can have a really nice side effect for helping women sleep. So I think it'll just be individualized. Ditto, I would say. (laughs) Well, but... Somebody comes in, they're otherwise healthy, they're smack dab in the middle of getting these hot flashes. And, you know, their friends have said something or their family doc has said, you know, oh, this is the medicine to go with. But, you know, they have no contraindications to using estrogen and nobody brought that conversation up. <laughs> right. And, right. That's yes. real. That's real world. And so, or they were told you get, you can go on that, but you'll get cancer and die. Yeah, I've actually yeah, had people yeah. tell me they were yeah. told that. <laughs> and so how would your counseling sound? To I that think person? after you educate them on all the aspects of their body that estrogen affects and what is occurring as they're losing their estrogen, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that that too. Oh, I, yes, that's been going oh, yeah. on too. And so oh, I think mm-hmm. when they hear all that, that they're like, oh yeah, that is what I need. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I think for that perimenopausal, that woman within ten years of her last menstrual period and or less than sixty hormone therapy for the vast majority of that population is really going to be my go-to, unless of course. She chooses not to, or she has some of those other contraindications we talked to, but hormones definitely are still a beautiful thing for those younger, <laughs> healthy women. Yeah, true that. Mm-hmm. Just for sake of completeness, would you 
uh, give us that list of things that uh, estrogen does that uh, the non-hormonal options for hot flashes don't do. Yeah, so I... Um... So my way of counseling is going through all the history of, so usually they'll come in and say, I'm having hot flashes and I can't sleep. And then I'll start going, like Anna was saying, all these other things. Are you having problems with joint pain? Are you having problems with your moods? Are you having problems with brain fog, difficulty concentrating, drier skin, drier hair, drier nails, drier eyes? I mean, just go through it all. And then I say, this is because you have estrogen receptors everywhere. So everything is affected. And so that's why the hormones are such a nice option. But then again, not for everybody. So that's yeah. where then I go into all the non-hormonals, pluses and minuses of those. How, how do you go about it, Anna? Uh, I Very similar to Jean. Um, I think it's a great time for women right now because they have so many options. And um, if they do not believe that they want to make estrogen part of their plan, now they have all these other options as well. So it's very exciting. Yeah. And I think, I think in closing, I give me both of you, give me some <laughs> words of, of wisdom and the things that you would want to leave the most important points you want to leave with um, our young learners and uh, looking at these new tools that we have and comparing them with what we already have. So I will say that there are risks and benefits to everything, including not doing anything, which I think gets missed and not talked about, and that there are options for everything. And I would also say if someone out there can find a provider that feels comfortable discussing all the options, a really great place to look is on the menopause website for looking for a certified menopause practitioner is always a good idea. I'm going to end with Jean's line um, because oh. I think it's so great that she, because she didn't say it. So I'm going to take it. Okay. Um, but previously, we only had one FDA approved non-hormonal medications and now we have two. So uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yes. We're, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. And I, and I think that there's a lot of help to be had and so i think the big thing is just shouting this from the rooftops that we we can really we're really well equipped to help people so well thank you both so much for taking the time and this evening to to talk to me about this i think a very important issue for people to help them with uh you know low libido because of menopause symptoms so thanks oh, again yeah. for for joining us thank of course, you thanks for having us always fun Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Med. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.